Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to Making Headway Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mariah. And we wanted to answer one of the questions that came up on Instagram recently. One of you asked us, what is something that you wish you'd known before your brain injury or immediately after that would have sort of lent some wisdom to you along the way? It's a really good question. Not something you can rewind the tapes and take care of, but in hindsight, we've learned a lot. What about you, Erin? I think for me, mine was the the biggest thing that I needed was that guidance on the cognitive piece. I definitely left the hospital feeling different and Troy was telling me I was different, but I was not willing to take that feedback. So really, if I had understood like my brain injury had changed me in a way that made me mouthier and more, you know, overly (laughs) confident, (laughs) I think it would have been helpful to hear that from a provider rather than family members trying to be like, hey, you're, you know, you're a little off your rocker right now because you just (laughs) Some of that feedback you take better from someone that's not so closely connected to you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Nat, my husband, has brought that up to me as well. And it's no offense to our loved ones, but sometimes it takes a professional, right? Yeah. It's it's not a diss to them, but it's kind of like, you know, you need to hear it from somebody who made it their career. Right. And not that I didn't trust what Troy was saying, but it was almost like he was too close to the picture. So I was taking that as a personal affront rather than, listen, your brain's not working right. This is why you're processing things differently and why you maybe should shut up when you're told to shut up. <laughs> I think it probably you don't let, just would have been easier. Don't let anyone tell you to shut up, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that time, I needed a little help. <laughs> what about you, Mariah? What did you have for your... Oh, there are so, so many, um, but there are some that I feel like would have made a really big difference in my healing process. And one of them is something that doesn't get talked about, I think, enough as a result of a brain injury. We talk a lot about sort of like speech stuff and we talk about physical stuff, but I had vertigo after my accident and it makes sense. I was literally knocked onto the pavement by a car, so my head was bonked really hard. And I left the hospital knowing that I had vertigo, but it was not high on my priority list in terms of like what I felt like I needed to do to heal. Number one being rest. And also I was being released into a family scenario with a toddler. So it was just kind of like I was just doing what I could. But I was also sort of putting off dealing with the vertigo because A, I left the hospital without a whole lot of referral information. Like I didn't have a recommendation for a physical therapist who could help me with the vertigo. So I had to do some of my own research and some physical therapists don't specialize in in that and I didn't know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And also I had heard (laughs) that if you do some of the maneuvers in physical therapy to take care of vertigo, that you were going to get nauseous. And I was like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I have so many other things that are terrible right now. I just, I'm going to rest and I'm going to stay home and I'm not going to worry about it. But in hindsight, if I had checked that box and taking care of it earlier, a lot of the other bigger healing tasks that needed to be done would have been a lot easier for me. So Mm. something I wish I had known, but you know, you live, you learn. Yeah. But And it's hard when you don't have someone telling you. (laughs) 
exactly and, yeah. and we're not professionals well, right sort of you are <laughs> yeah but not but, in brain um, injury like you don't know yeah. when it's you being the patient it's a very different perspective yeah exactly so that leads us to introducing our wonderful guest today. And I personally am so excited because uh, we are talking to Emily Buse, who is one of my good college friends. And it's so funny the way life circles you back to people. Emily and I went to SMU together, go ponies. And she and I sort of both wound up up north many years later. And Emily is a doctor of physical therapy. She works at McGee Rehab in Philadelphia. And Emily, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome. So it's funny, you know, like little did we know back when we were sitting in a sorority house together that we many years later be on a podcast together talking about brain injuries <laughs> and vestibular rehab. <laughs> Absolutely. Never would have, never would have dreamt it. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with the basics? I think a lot of people don't know what vestibular rehab is or what the vestibular system is. So why don't we take it from there? Sure, absolutely. So when we're talking about the vestibular system, we're really talking about the inner ear. So it's just a simple way, but the vestibular system is really what we call a sensory system. It's responsible for providing our brain with information about motion, about our head position, about what we call spatial orientation, like where we are in space. It helps us to, it basically allows us to maintain our balance, stabilize our head and our body during movements and helps us maintain posture. So it's a really important system. And so within that, just like doctors have specialties, just like even nurses have specialties and things like that. So physical therapists also have specialties. We typically divide. So most people, when they think of physical therapy, think of your orthopedic physical therapist, the person who's going to rehab your knee or your ankle, or, you know, you have surgery on your back or your shoulder. And that is a big part of what we do. But within that, we also have neurological physical therapists. So that's what I am. I work in a clinic that sees spinal cord injury, brain injury, stroke, as well as other uh, neurodegenerative diseases. And within that, a subspecialty of even neuro is the vestibular system or vestibular rehab. And there are even orthopedic therapists who will treat vestibular, but really when you're looking for a therapist, if you have vertigo or if you have significant balance or dizziness problems, you really should be looking for that therapist that says they treat vestibular issues. It requires a special certification. Um, the Emory, Emory University, which is actually where I'm a graduate of, does a course every year. It's an entire week-long course with you know, tests and everything else you have to do to get certified. And then since then, I've done advanced courses in this. So with vestibular rehab, um, when you get referred, what you can expect is just like with your other therapy disciplines or your doctor, you're going to give a history. You're going to give a history of what happened to you, what you're currently having issues with. And I think one of the most important things for you going into seeing a provider like that is for you to really differentiate what what is it for you when you say dizziness? Is it truly dizziness, which is more could be like that sensation of lightheadedness or faintness? Is it more vertigo, 
And vertigo really is that, like it has a spinning component, a rotational component. Oftentimes when patients will say, I feel like I'm spinning or the room is spinning. Or it is, is it the more weirdest like- feeling? I have yeah. to say, I think it's a hard to describe having had it. Like it, I don't know if I could describe it having not had it, <laughs> but now that I've had it, it really is. It's like you are completely thrown into a spin. It's It feels more physical than just a lightheaded dizziness. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, but the being able to differentiate can really help your therapist say, okay, this is what's going on. You know, is it disequilibrium? Is it just like, I feel off balance. I just don't feel steady when I'm up moving around. And it could be all of these things, right? Like you could be experiencing all of these things, especially after a brain injury. You're more likely to have multiple of these symptoms and not necessarily just one. It could be a rocking or swaying sensation. It can be sensations of floating or like I'm swimming. Or it could be, uh, you know, like issues with your eyes. You just feel like your eyes aren't tracking right and then you kind of feel off. So kind of having some of that, having thought through that a little bit and being able to, you know, but that's our job too, is to help put words to things for people as well. But we're always, you know, looking pretty closely at that. That makes sense. I know it can be hard after a brain injury. You have so much going on and you're fatigued and sometimes it's really hard to put those words to the symptoms. So what I'm hearing you say is you can go to a therapist knowing that something's off, maybe you're dizzy and hopefully you guys can help guide the conversation Mm -hmm. to figure out exactly what it is. Yeah, nail it down. That's that's a really good point, Erin, because just speaking to my own experience, like I knew I, because I had been told what the dizziness was in the hospital, that it was vertigo. But I also had this thing, actually hearing you say, Emily, like you're underwater or like you're swimming underwater is a really good way of putting it. On top of the dizziness, when I was walking, especially in a hallway with like fluorescent lights overhead, like in a hospital, really mm. good job, guys. Um, I, it makes you feel like you're almost like you're moving at a normal pace, but but everything else is moving either faster or slower than you are. And you (laughs) listeners can't see me, but I'm literally waving my arms around (laughs) trying to describe (laughs) it. It's a really hard thing to describe. But at the time I thought it was because my brain was not processing what I was seeing at the rate that I was living it. But I'm pretty sure it actually was vertigo related because after my first session with a physical therapist, it disappeared almost immediately. So, right. And so from, knowing a little bit of Mariah's story, having talked to her. So she was experiencing, honestly, probably our most treatable and common dizziness complaint. It's called BPPV. It stands for benign proximal positional vertigo. It's a bunch of really fancy words. Say that 10 times Um, fast. I know, right? (laughs) But benign meaning it's not life-threatening. Proximal is a word meaning it like comes on suddenly. Positional meaning it's triggered by certain head head positions or body movements. So majority of cases, I mean, I can tell you from the history, I can like you know, nine out of 10 times, I can be like, I'm pretty sure they have BPPB Mm. before I've even moved them. Because typically you're going to say, you know, when I lay down in bed at night, when I roll over to like, you know, grab my bedside book or to turn off the lamp, or when I bend over, or if I look up like at the upper shelf in, in the bathroom or, you know, in the kitchen, they are going to have, you're going to feel the sensation of vertigo. It typically doesn't last very long. 
Most of the time, if you move out of the position or hold still, it will pass, but it is sudden <laughs> it mm -hmm. is, and it's triggered by that position. And then, yeah. the, and then vertigo, meaning that false sense of movement, that false sense of rotation. So yeah. you're moving even when you're not moving, maybe you just moved, but now you're not moving and, but your body still feels like you're yep. moving. Everything else is still going. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like people with BPPV, like they learn their spot, their trigger spot, and they try and work around it when they really should be, just go to a physical therapist and take care of it. But yeah. Yes. Well, and that's what happens is a lot of times by the time I see people, they're avoiding moving, right? They're like, you know, they're, they're moving very slowly. They move their head and their body are moving together instead of moving independently of one another. Um, they look like robots. <laughs> yeah. They say they're not sleeping in their bed. They're mm. sleeping in the recliner or, you know, they're sleeping propped up on all these pillows, <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, I've heard it all. And so knowing kind of the signs, if that sounds like you, you know, if you're sitting here going, yeah, that, <laughs> Yeah, every time I go and lie, you know, lay down at night, I get dizzy, it passes, but every time I do it, it comes back. Then that might be something that you're dealing with. The good news, there's always, this is the thing is, this is what I like to say is the good news. And one of the reasons I love treating this is it's very treatable. Like typically, I mean, I, I always at a minimum see my patients at least two visits for this, but you know, technically you can feel a lot better just in one treatment, but most of the time, you know, two to four treatments, two to five treatments, and you're going to be feeling a lot better in regards, if not completely better in terms of vertigo. It's kind and of like most, magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if, if you're some, not everybody, some people have balance issues because of brain injury. And there are a lot of reasons you can ba have balance issues, but um, those that are having balance issues because of their vertigo, once you treat the vertigo, then within some period of time, the balance issues also resolve. So there are cases, and again, where I get the benefit of working in a neuro setting and also seeing vestibular patients. So we see a lot of patients that I'm identifying their vertigo for them. Like I'm seeing them because of their brain injury. We're working on their mobility tasks, you know, walking faster, you know, improving their balance, going up and down the stairs, being able to negotiate things in the community. And then you, and then they may say something about, you know, gosh, or, or, you know, we're just doing laying down on the mat to do an exercise. And they're like, hold on. I'm just dizzy. It'll pass. I just got to wait a minute. I'm like, oh, hold on. What is that? <laughs> Let's talk mm, about that. Let's talk about that. We yeah. can, you know, and it's funny how a lot of people just pass it off because it's, it's brief, right? It may not mm -hmm. last very right. long, but it is something we can, we can work on. Yeah. yeah and no, there is one, a scale to it, right? Like uh, mine, I, I've had a couple different instances of it. But I've had like super minor and then I've also had like really major. If you have a really minor one, it's easy to write it off as just like a passing thing and not think you need to like address it with somebody mm -hmm. who's professional. <laughs> but right. Yeah. Right. And at one point in nursing, I thought that it was important to distinguish from the patient if they felt like the world was spinning around them or if they were the one that was spinning. Is that an important distinction that you need to know, or was that a misnomer? No, not really. Mo most either of, could be vertigo, right? Is what I'm hearing. Either one could be vertigo. Yeah. Okay. So some will describe. I, I would say more often than not, I feel like people will say to me that 
the room is spinning around them. Although I've had many tell me that they feel like they're spinning either way they're they both and again it may be negative that you know that it may be something else Mm -hmm. but again that's my job (laughs) and that's why it's best though to come in right so if it's the easy thing great let's you know treat it let's get to feeling better you know and that if it's not that doesn't mean it's not treatable it may just take a little longer but again the skill of a a neuro and vestibular therapists are going to be able to differentiate is this what we call a peripheral issue meaning peripheral meaning inner ear versus a central issue and central meaning central nervous system so or is this a result of your brain injury it, itself because bppv occurs it's basically like a mechanical problem in the inner ear. So you have these little calcium carbonate crystals that we call otoconia. So I'm just going to call them crystals because that's the easiest thing to think about. They basically, when you hit your head, and you maybe even didn't hit your head, maybe it's a whiplash injury or maybe just some kind of really abrupt movement, they can become dislodged off of the hair cells where they belong in the ear. They have a purpose in your ear, but when they become dislodged, they then move into one of what we call your semicircular ear canals. And it's benign because in essence, it's not going to hurt anything to be there other than it's going to give you this false sense of movement when you're not moving because we have endolymph, we have fluid in those inner ears and their job, each inner ear has a job and its job is when that fluid moves, it gives your brain information about where you are in space. So if you then move, if you, you know, bring yourself into a position where enough of those otoconia, those crystals that have dislodged are now collected into part of that ear canal or into the semicircular canal, then you feel like you're moving. So our job is to basically do a repositioning maneuver. Some people, the most common is to have BPPV in your posterior canal, although you can have it in your anterior or horizontal canals. And that's, again, our job to differentiate the difference as to which canal it's in, which ear it is in. If they become dislodged into that posterior canal, let's say, because it's the most common, then we're going to do a repositioning maneuver to basically move the debris, we call it debris, out of the canal into a place that it's just not going to give those false signals to the brain anymore. And we do that. It can either be called that. Go ahead. I was going to say they're all external maneuvers. It's not like you're sticking things in people's ears or anything scary. So. Yeah, so Mariah can speak to this, but if if we treat you with the Epley or what we've kind of more um, really changed the terminology to a little bit to call the uh, Canela 3 positioning maneuver, essentially what that means is we're laying you down on your back with your head turned to the side that you have um, the crystals in. We stay there for about a minute or so. We then turn your head the other way. We then roll onto your side and then you sit up. That's what I mean by maneuver. I'm just mm-hmm. basically moving your head and rolling you around. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, all the different maneuvers based on canal are um, have their own particular technique. But that's all it is. They're relatively yeah. benign. Otherwise, they're probably not going to harm you. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. My first appointment, first, I mean, first of all. When my physical therapist told me I had crystals in my ear, I was like, I'm sorry, I have crystals where? <laughs> um, the whole the whole appointment, I'm sure she thought I was crazy, but because 
I was just baffled <laughs> by the entire thing. And then she did, she helped me through the maneuver. And it is something you can eventually kind of do on your own. But for the first times, it's really, you really should be seeing a professional. Don't just go on YouTube and try and do it yourself. Get, get the help yeah. from somebody who knows what they're doing. But it is pretty simple. And so when you actually have it done and almost immediately feel the difference, you're like, why did I wait? Because <laughs> it is, it's like, it. like I said, it's like magic. And I will speak to the, because most everyone will feel vertigo or dizziness with the assessment, with the maneuver itself. There are those that just happen to be more sensitive to motion than others. And they're the people that will say, like, they'll tell me in advance, like, this really makes me feel nauseated. This makes me feel like I might throw up. You can talk if you, like in your case, Mariah, you knew they told you you had vertigo and then you were then figuring out where to go. Like you can talk to your doctor about basically premedicating if that's a concern of yours to have mm. something on board before we do the maneuver. So that's good to that, know. So just, you know, I don't always recommend that everybody premedicate, but again, if you're someone that has been particularly sensitive, motion sensitive, and you're concerned about that, if that's a barrier for you, then I would definitely talk to the referring physician about getting something that you can take to help with the motion sensitivity and the nausea before you go in. Yeah, that's good to know. Cause I know some people hold off because they've heard like me, I mean, I'm not particularly sensitive to motion, but if you are, I can imagine that that is a hurdle in getting you into some someone's office to take care of it. But. Right. Well, and if you're already, you know, after a brain injury, you're already dealing with a lot more, right? You're already not feeling great. So it's hard to be like, okay, you're going to make me feel worse. <laughs> but you know, that's why also like I spend a lot of time talking with people before I ever even put hands on them. Because I think if they understand, and I think if you explain like, this is what we are going to do. This is likely the response I expect, you know, and then especially if it's not as bad as I'm telling you, <laughs> then even better, right? But then to say like, you will probably feel 50 to 80% better today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then if you come back for your, you know, second or third visit, we'll get you all the way there. Then, you know, I, I get buy-in from most people once I get them in my office to yeah. complete it, you know, let, I would imagine so. Yes, <laughs> please get rid of it. Is it yeah. true that if you've had vertigo, you're more likely to get it again in the future? It is true. So unfortunately, there's about a 40 to 45% recurrence rate with BPPV. Now I will say that's the general recurrence rate. I don't actually, I'm not actually sure if anyone has looked and they probably haven't. I just don't know it. Like the difference of whether your BPV, BPPV was trauma induced versus mm -hmm. more aging and other factors, because we do know that your likelihood to get it increases as you age. Something to look forward to. I know, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, there is not much we can do to prevent it from coming back. But what I like to tell people is like, now you know what this is. Now you know what it feels like in those patients that it seems like. So some of them, because I'm seeing them for their their brain injury and their other rehab needs as well, and not just for the vertigo component. I have had those that I've had, they've been good for weeks. And then it comes back up within that two, three month period of time that I'm seeing them for rehab otherwise. And then we just reposition, we do it, we move on. For those that have already been discharged home, sometimes that's frustrating 
if I find that it's currently happening again in the same canal, I'll teach them whether it be the Epley or I have some other, you know, home ways to try first. And I say, try this. If you feel this way again, if it doesn't take care of it, come back because it can switch canals. And if it switches into another canal, then you need a different maneuver. Yeah. So super frustrating. But again, that's your lifetime recurrence risk. So for some, it might pop up again in a month. Others, it might be, I literally had someone who's like, yeah, I had this like 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> mm. So the best thing I can say is just have your vestibular therapist, you know, on your phone. And <laughs> yeah, I've had two recurrences. So when I had it immediately after my accident, I would say it was, it was not the worst thing ever, but it wasn't easy either. But part of what made it tough was I just didn't know what it was. The second time I had it, it was bad. Like I, what I thought I was going to throw up at one point, it was just like one really bad stint. Um, and I was like, kind of floored for the rest of the day that it happened and I just knew what it was. So I immediately called my physical therapist. They got me in the next day and then it was immediately gone in one session with them. And then the second time I had a recurrence, it was really, really minor to the point where I did the Epley on my own a couple of times and it disappeared on its own. So I think it's like, you're right. Having the knowledge of what it is and that it's fairly easy to treat and knowing you have someone professional to go to if it's something you don't think you can handle yourself or if it's really minor having the coping mechanisms and sort of to do it at home it just makes it so much more manageable absolutely yeah now it sounds like there's another bucket of patients though either (laughs) you think there it's vertigo and the maneuvers don't work or it's not vertigo at all and it's something different so what about those other patients yeah so remember when we first talked i said um you know part of my job is differentiating is it peripheral is it something that's coming from the inner ear from the actual vestibular end organ or is it central is it a central nervous system issue and obviously if you've sustained a brain injury whether traumatic or acquired most of the time we know that right like we know you have that diagnosis you're going to then come see me because you have dizziness as well. Probably most likely, I mean, you should always screen for BPPV (laughs) because again, it's so treatable and you can make someone feel a lot better. But what if, yeah, what if um, that doesn't work or that's not it? So some of the things that we look at, and I think a lot of people are really surprised by this, is that your eyes actually tell me almost everything aside from your history that I need to know about what's going on um, with your ears and with your brain in regards to dizziness. So if you go in to see a vestibular therapist after we take your history, one of the things that we're going to look at is what we call your ocular motor function. So I'm basically looking, so ocular, your eyes and your function. So we have muscles on our eyes. So I'm not looking at vision. I'm not, it's not your eye doctor. I'm not looking at do you have 20-20 vision or not. Although it is important to know if you've had changes because that can definitely happen. I've heard that can happen. And there are definitely cases where I need someone to go, you know, or they'll even say, I saw my optometrist or ophthalmologist and they said my eyes were fine. (laughs) 
they said my eyes were fine. Sometimes, uh, thankfully, I'm blessed here in Philly. Like we have connections to neuro-ophthalmology, which is, or neuro-optometry, which is definitely a subspecialty. And sometimes I have people who have really significant issues with their eyes after their brain injury, malalignments, you know, issues with double vision, diplopia, um, and other things that require vision rehab or a vision therapist or a neurooptometrist or ophthalmologist to really look at that in detail. But what I'm looking at is like, how are your eyes moving? Like, how do they track side to side, up and down diagonals? Then I'm looking at how they move between two targets. So can they move quickly between two targets or more targets? And are you hitting those targets accurately with your eyes? then how are your eyes moving, coming together and going apart? So convergence and divergence. So if I bring something close to your nose, are they moving? Not only can they move inward, are the muscles mm -hmm. actually moving your eyes inward, but are they doing it together? And then same with diverging, are they moving outward together? And then I'm going to look for the presence of what we call nystagmus. So nystagmus is just an involuntary, meaning you're not controlling it but an involuntary rhythmic side to side or up and down or circular motion of the eyes that occurs for a variety of reasons. So in the case of BPPV, when I put you into those positions, I'm looking at your eyes. Do you have what we expect to see in a posterior anterior canal BPPV is a torsional up or down beating type of nystagmus and it is correlated with those moments of feeling dizzy. So you, you know, you would say I am dizzy or I have vertigo right now. And I would see your eyes moving in that, you know, torsional up or down beating component. Now, horizontal. It's amazing. Canal, yeah. That it's, the eyes do that. Actually, my physical therapist showed me a video of it so that, so that I could understand what she was seeing when she looked at me and um, mm -hmm. to our listeners, please go Google it. Cause it's weird looking. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. like that rapid so, flicker. Yeah, you have them yeah. go to so the outside just, of their field and it flickers. Yeah, it's a beating. So we look at, are you just getting spontaneous dystagmus? Like just sitting here, do your eyes just spontaneously start to move in that way? When you look to the right, do they beat to the right? And when do they look to the left? Are they still beating right or are they beating left? So is it in the same direction or is it direction changing? Because one thing <laughs> means that it's peripheral and the other could be an indication of the central issue. Does it, does it make a difference? It does make a difference, I'll tell you, but um, with- Hint. <laughs> yeah, hint, it does. Are, if we let you fixate, meaning like if I'm looking at your eyes in room light, if it's a peripheral issue, then you should be able to suppress, meaning you could, basically the amount of nystagmus you would have, like during a BPPV assessment, would be less than if I block your vision. So actually, Mariah, did they use the goggles on you? Like No, uh, that sounds oh, okay. fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, <laughs> there are uh, frenzel lenses or infrared goggles that help to occlude vision, mm. basically. So we can see your eyes, but you're not seeing anything. It's dark because then in that, I know you can't suppress the nystagmus, which allows me to get that mm. like for sure diagnosis of what I'm seeing and that because in a peripheral issue, you can suppress it in room light, but you mm -hmm. can't when the, you know, when it's dark. Huh. So there are different tools we use to basically say, is the type of nystagmus you're having or is the type of ocular motor issue you're having pointing more towards a peripheral issue or a central issue? And so 
every vestibular therapist should always do an ocular motor exam in addition to, you know, screening for things like BPPV where we put you into those different positional tests. And then we should always be looking at your balance. So they're going to be balanced not only statically, meaning like in place, can I stand? Can I stand with my feet together and my eyes open without swaying? Can I stand with my eyes closed? Can I keep my balance while I'm on foam? Those types of things. And then we're also going to look at your balance with walking. So if I'm walking, if I'm walking and turning my head, can I maintain my balance? Can I keep a straight path? Can I negotiate obstacles? Can I step over things? Can I go up and down stairs? Can I do those things while maintaining my balance? Or do I need the handrail? Or do I reach for the walls or that type of thing? So that's kind of the basic, what most everyone should get when we're looking at it. Because then again, that points us to the type of treatment that we're going to provide. So in this, in the case of a central disorder, meaning, hey, you have you had a traumatic brain injury, or maybe you had some kind of bleed or a lesion in your cerebellum. The cerebellum, or what we call like the little brain, is it's like kind of mm-hmm. what it's it's called, is um, a really great structure. It's located in the back of your head, just below, underlying the your occipital lobe, and it is has a lot of functions. Its primary function being maintenance of balance and posture as well as like coordinating voluntary movements. So if you see someone who's uncoordinated or discoordinated, that could be an issue of the cerebellum. Motor learning, so being able to learn a new or complex motor task. Can you do it timely? Can you do it, you know, well coordinated, those types of things. It has a lot of functions. So we will see those that have had an acquired brain injury in that area. And I already know that balance is going to be an issue and posture is going to be an issue. So those are things that we can train. It's just not as quick of a fix. Gotcha. So those are the longer therapies where you're going to see you more frequently, doing exercises, that sort of stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. I know when I initially had my bleed, mine was in the right lower part of my brain down to C3. Hmm. It, I think it was called the pons. Does that sound mm-hmm. familiar? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I did have, um, it was in the layer that has my cerebral spinal fluid, a subarachnoid. So I did have some balance issues initially. If I tried I to move that. too fast, if like I couldn't do yoga at first. Yeah, um, so we're in Aaron territory. Kept falling over. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't even connect it till just now. Like, oh, yeah, I did mm-hmm. have a little balance issue while I was doing that. Isn't and I it thought, amazing how, like, you might not make the connection and then months later you hear some bit of yeah. information and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And it was nothing anyone picked up on that I needed physical therapy for. It just cleared. And they thought maybe it was just the extra pressure or something throwing off. So I didn't really get any therapy for it, but it does make me wonder, you know, people that aren't knocked in the head are maybe experiencing these other things and need Mm -hmm, to ask more questions. It's probably easy to think, well, my head didn't get bonked, so maybe that's not an issue for me, but it still can be a pretty big issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're talking about treating someone I mean, in general, dizziness, obviously, if you have, if you feel dizzy, even a lot of times those with central reasons for their dizziness it may not be you could have positional dizziness meaning like when you lay down you may feel it or a lot of times what i get more often 
because associated with a lot of acquired type brain injuries are ability to regulate like your blood pressure and some of those other things. So a lot of them will report issues with, yeah, sit to stand. So you, it could be orthostatic hypotension, mm -hmm. um, but it, 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 you know, there are ways to work around that. And, and as a therapist, a lot of ours is just teaching strategies, right? So that's a lot of with brain injury is teaching strategies for how to be safe, how to move in a way that is compensatory to a degree, but that is going to help your function and not ultimately like hurt you over time. And so oftentimes we do have to modify our vestibular rehab with patients who have had a brain injury, meaning they might need someone from home, a caregiver or someone to supervise them doing certain exercises because otherwise they'd be unsafe to complete it on their own because mm -hmm. of their balance issue. Maybe that we need to give them supervision and guidance to accommodate for like their cognitive and behavioral issues related to the brain injury. Or we're gonna progress them through the stages a little more slowly than someone who only had dizziness or only had a vestibular issue or you know due to other causes and not the brain injury. So it's good to have someone who understands the difference and can modify the exercises based on what's causing it and the other things that you're dealing with. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any advice in general for folks who are listening to this and feeling like, oh, maybe I didn't think I have an issue, but I have a hunch now that I do at what the next step should mm -hmm. be and, and any resources for them other than the very mm -hmm. obvious, go find a physical therapist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that that's the obvious, go find a physical therapist, but is there anything yeah. else that you would recommend to them? Yeah. So, I mean, one place that you can just, or two places you can go online just to get more information if you're wanting to read a little bit more is vestibular.org. They, their organization goes by VEDA, V-E-D-A, and okay. they have a lot of really great resources online, things that people can, patients can read. They also have on their patient logs. So I've actually myself printed ones off of there for patients of mine. There are things like symptom logs, um, medication logs, food logs. So if people are having, it can be any kind of symptom, but in particular with vestibular, it could be like, well, when are you having your dizziness? Or those that maybe are experiencing headaches um, that we're trying to find if there are triggers or correlations to, they can use these logs. So it's, it is the type that you would like print off and then like pen and paper type log. I'm sure that there are some apps out there. Maybe you guys know of some of them that do the same thing, but that can be really helpful. And then neuropt.org is basically part of the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association. It's part of the neuro component of the APTA. And again, there are a bunch of like patient education text uh, fact sheets on there that are helpful for kind of reading about and understanding what you might expect and, and understanding why you might be dizzy and other things. And, and, and that's a good place to start. Otherwise, like just talking to your provider. So it could be your primary care doctor. Um, hopefully, if you've had a brain injury, you have a neurologist or you may have. I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope you have a neurologist. Yeah. I only um, had neurosurgery to... at first. It took my really? speech therapist really pushing to have a neurologist that would focus on my ongoing really? symptoms. Yeah, I didn't. Oh. I didn't have anybody initially. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, Push for neuro the neurosurg right? <laughs> the neurosurgeon's gonna, you know, help with the surgical component, but the neurologist is gonna really help with more of the medication and ongoing um, yeah. help. Yeah. In my 
field, we work very closely with physiatrists or PMNR doctors, physical medicine and rehab doctors. So if you are someone who after being in your acute hospital did get referred for inpatient rehab, then you will have had a PMNR or physiatrist a doctor. So I know both of you <laughs> skipped, <laughs> skipped that step. So <laughs> you didn't get one of those. And then the other person that potentially you could see as a separate you know, gateway or maybe recommended by your physical therapist to see would be an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. So as well, a lot of times those patients that we're seeing for vestibular issues that haven't had the brain injury component oftentimes might end up at an ENT and then to us. And the ENT does a really great test called the VNG, which is the video nystagmography. <laughs> and basically it's assessing all of those ocular movements, a lot of what I was talking about, but does it in a video format um, and you get this really great test. But most of the time that's just if you're having you know, much more severe issues or you haven't gotten to the physical therapist yet, you may end up there. But any one of those can write for physical therapy. If you're in a direct access state, then that means you could directly go in to see the therapist. You wouldn't need a doctor's note, but not all states are like that. Pennsylvania is not. You do have to um, have a physician script to see one of us. Gotcha. I love that you brought up the idea of a log because so many of us after brain injuries, our memories are not that great. And you might get to the doctors and be like, I've been struggling, but I don't remember how. So writing it down <laughs> and really keeping an accurate um, mm -hmm. account of everything happening is just so important. Yeah, I really wish I could look back on those, especially the first month after being released from the hospital and have a better idea of really what I was feeling because it's all lost in a fog at this point. My husband does a good job of reminding me of what things were like when I asked, but I, I wish I had a written sort of documentation of from me what I was feeling because A, it would mm -hmm. be interesting, but also B, knowing now what I know about so many of my symptoms and what they actually might have been, you know, I, I just learned a lot along the way and I, I would love to have a more accurate idea of, of what was going on. How much we've learned, honestly, on this journey. It's, uh, you know, like it's amazing. The brain is an amazing thing. The body is an amazing thing. Uh, it's just, it's pretty amazing in general, but just how much we've learned. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Um, this has been awesome. And I hope helpful to our listeners who maybe haven't put their finger on a symptom and now realize that they could maybe get it cleared up quickly, but how can people find you if they have questions or want to know more? They're always, you guys are always welcome to reach out to us on our website, but how can people find you, Emily? Sure. I am on Instagram. I actually just created a professional account for, you know, <laughs> for this reason. So it is uh, Dr. Emily Buse PT. So D-R-E-M-I-L-Y-B-E-U-S-P-T. So you can find me there and I'm, you know, hopefully going to start posting more there, but you can absolutely message me on there and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Awesome. That's well, excellent. thank you so much for joining us and to our listeners, we will talk to you next week. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time.
All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com.